This is Movies, a podcast about the active cinema. And with me today, it's Haas. People are so concerned about your weight loss. It's all I'm hearing about these days. But you're saying no. Your Costa Rican doctor says yeah. you're fine, right? Yeah, he says I'm doing great. It's like I've never seen you look this good. I've only known him for like six months. Uh, so he never saw me when I was at my fattest. But mm -hmm. uh, no, it's fine. It's healthy. Your head healthy looks like loss. it's disappearing into that beanie you're wearing right now. <laughs> yeah, I didn't have time to adjust it. Uh, but yeah, I think uh, I think people should mind their business. <laughs> that's a that's a pretty good rule. Well, hey, we have back on the show. I think it's been a couple of years now since, or maybe about a year since we had Jack Mason, the perfume nationalist, on with us. We were talking about Survivor, and I think Survivor had just ended its 40th season, or it was getting into its woke era, which is currently happening right now. Yeah, I mean, I still watch eagerly and there's still always something to be interested in because I, I don't think it stayed strictly with the woke era, uh, like stayed rules wise. But currently, um, the contestants are all uh, Zoomers who beg to be voted off. So have you been watching the current one? I've been hate watching it. They all have bodies like jellyfish. And they seem yeah, like the, I mean, the least equipped cast for Survivor in the history of the show. The casting, uh, they deliberately choose ugly people straight up. I mean, it's just, they're uglier than like an average swab of American society. And I would have had to stop watching if that uh, Zoomer guy with the long curly hair who had the panic attacks, who wouldn't get his hair out of, out of his face... If that guy hadn't gotten voted off, um, that was too much to take. And Jeff doesn't say anything now because he doesn't want to get canceled. So it's it just like the Zoomers just do all this stuff and Jeff says nothing. I did appreciate the return of his hate glare on the last episode. <laughs> he looks really hateful. He looks so intense. It was like, oh, old Jeff is still in there. You know, he can't cover it up yeah. with enthusiastic like, oh, you got to live for the moment. Oh, yeah, here's the here's the cast Hans just pulled up. Uh, so we've had two quitters so far in this Survivor cast. They are just not feeling the series. This guy right here on the very end, Brandon with the long hair. I, mm -hmm. you know, he got tired trying to climb up the ladder in that first episode where they're just like, all right, you got to get off the boat. And the challenge is you're getting back on the boat. And he just couldn't climb up that. He got so tired. And then he laid there. He like described he that as a panic attack. And he, I, it doesn't even seem like he knows what a panic attack even is. Like a panic attack is already fake. But yeah. he invented a new kind of fake panic attack that doesn't even conform to the old style of panic attack. And also, it just kept getting more and more depressing where he was like, I may not be the bravest, but I'm great at puzzles. And then, of course, it turned out he wasn't good at puzzles, <laughs> puzzles either and couldn't do anything at all. He's just completely useless. And, like, I think it's possums that, like, just drop to the ground and freeze uh, if they feel attacked or something. He was like that. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's all uh, this Zoomer uh, ideology they have where they're, like, really proud of quitting something or like being a coward and they like announce it as if they're announcing they're like going into the Swedish uh euthanasia pod and they expect to be applauded and I'm I'm have no doubt this is because their Gen X mothers sent them to therapy really early um but yeah it's it's really depressing is this you, one trans which one uh no no he's no. just Asian 
They're okay. all straight men. Yeah, the, all, the, all the straight men uh, look like that now because the, the young ones, they have these like doughy, round, moon-like faces and long trans hair that hangs in front of their faces. Have you liked any of these recent seasons, Jack? Yeah, I, I like the, the last one, I believe. I always... There was only, uh, I think, one or two that stood out as uniquely bad to me. But I recall liking the last one. I liked uh, Carolyn and Jam Jam. I, I hopped out on that season. I, I was out a couple of episodes into it. And I've heard from people it's the best of the new crop of seasons. So maybe I'll go back. I thought but it was, I was good. I was actually pretty happy with the season right before that, season 43, and Mike Gabler winning since he was such a what-the-fuck contestant. Just, <laughs> you know, it was just yeah. out of nowhere, his win. So I was very happy about that and to see. And You know, I, I used to root for the best strategists, and now I'm just like, they respect strategy too much on the show to the point where it's like off-putting. Like, they're, they're all super fans, and I kind of like seeing those very random older school style players make it to the end and win. That's what Mike Gabler reminded me. Yeah. Uh, I overall have felt positive about the last several seasons. I think they really smoothed out uh, the overly complex challenge stuff where they have to read uh, a, a full page of text and then like do something stupid. I really didn't like that. So it seems like it's more easily, more legible now, um, but it's still pretty good to me. And I'd be uh, remiss if I didn't bring up the fact that right after our episode of your show on The Shining, you had on Mike White from Survivor David vs. Goliath. That, that That is so awesome that you've had Mike White <laughs> on your show now twice. Um, and this last episode I thought was terrific. So Thank people, you. People should go check that out. Is that Patreon only, or did you put that? It's in It's Patreon also? only. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's paywall. He has asked to come on both times, so I haven't even had to like beg him to come on. So he's really awesome. I I love Mike White. Yeah, that's amazing. And it's also amazing he yeah. hasn't gotten in trouble or anything like that as of yet. It seems no, like, nope. He's coasting below the radar. It seems too uh, esoteric or. Yeah, maybe it just like why people wouldn't even know what to really, yeah, cancel. Yeah. It's just you know, they're talking about some book by Leslie Fiedler, but you know, yeah. The the last time I checked, the uh, so I don't know, you guys still talking about Survivor? I lost my vaguely okay. Uh, where's the old racist? Because the they usually have like an older one that it's not that physically able but he's you know the smart one or like the the one that's a little conniving that put sets trap on these young people and he's always a little bit something like maybe not overly racist but a little you know a little, i think you deep dove into the very early season early ones yeah, yeah they haven't had that for 20 years yeah uh, unfortunately they were always the most fun you know you just see someone just there's someone being themselves you know that's seriously like they don't care about what other my favorite contestant is exactly that character type it was randy from gabon um mm. and he came back for heroes versus villains and my favorite thing was when he was getting upset at tribal council he's trying to like organize voting out the Olympic gold medal winner, Crystal Cox, who I think got tested for steroids or, or they figured out she cheated. 
Um, and he started using certain vernacular like, oh, you ran this tribe like a gang, you and your, your boy. <laughs> and it was just like it came out of nowhere. And I don't know. It was a very amusing episode. Um, but we're not talking about Survivor tonight. No, there's a full episode on that. You guys can go back in the archive and listen to. No, we're talking about, you wouldn't know this, William Friedkin's The Exorcist from 1973, which I think is the, the definitive horror movie, really, in my opinion. And um, Jack, I have to say, I got annoyed listening to one of your episodes. You had a guy on who wrote a book called, I think it was like 1973, The Most Violent Year. And you brought up The Exorcist. And he was so quick to dismiss the exorcist. He just brushed it off. Oh, like, ah, oh, no, that's not. I had never talked to him before. I'm sure you could tell. <laughs> it was a lot of unexpected things on that. Um, it, that was an interesting conversation. But yeah, uh, he he was dismissive of the exorcist, wasn't he? Yes, he was. And I think it's a very important film. I think it's the most one of the one of probably the top five or ten American movies ever made. Um and it's a movie I've seen probably about 90 times at this rate since I, I first watched it back in, I want to say it was like 1999 or 2000. It was around the time that they released the version you've never seen before cut in theaters and then on home video. It incorrectly labeled the director's cut these days if you find it on HBO Max. Mm -hmm. um, what is your history with The Exorcist, Jack? Um, I, it, it, I'll go into it again. I think I went into all of it long, long ago when we uh, covered Exorcist 2, but basically the movie ruined my life uh, merely by glimpsing a few minutes of it in about fourth grade and reading about it. And it like kind of induced what I now recognize as a kind of uh, mild obsessive compulsive disorder where for a while I was so frightened of like getting possessed by the devil that I would have to do these like kind of numbered rituals in my head. Um, it, let's see, I uh, was so scared of it that I would have to uh, like avoid the VHS box cover and was also like tempted to go look at it and like avoid that page of my Leonard Malton movie guide um eventually when they re-released it in 2000 in the cursed uh version you've never seen uh which has is annoying mainly because it like invisibly replaces the real cut and people don't really know um uh i uh finally watched it in the back seat uh of a car on a camping trip and like one of those TVs that plugged into a cigarette lighter it was like a TV VCR combo. And I kind of loved it. Uh, I got the book from a garage sale and read it really quickly on that trip. Uh, loved it. You know, it's one of my favorite movies. I've seen it probably more than 20 times. Uh, I still, every couple of years, will have recurring Exorcist-themed nightmares. Um, I think that it could only have happened in the 70s, and it unleashed a certain kind of explicit evil on the world or on America, um, as we see with how uh, ineffective all the sequels are, especially this recent one. Uh, the shock value of it and the way that it used child actors and 
the way the 70s new hollywood way that the actors were like abused by friedkin hmm. uh it all yielded good results but you couldn't do any of that now um it's just a case of censorship on movies being lifted people going as far as they could possibly go in the 70s um and later i found out that the uh there have been like papers about like academic studies of people who have like mental illness after seeing the exorcist like like kind of like like uh people who became like deeply depressed in the 70s after seeing it it was like a pretty common thing people would just get sick and depressed and not want to go on living after the trauma of that movie but yeah suffice it to say it's one of the biggest influences on my life yeah i recently got into a youtube hole of seeing a bunch of like talk show interviews from the 70s where they would just randomly talk to audience members about their time watching the movie and it was a similar thing there where it was like psychosis or or just people being very affected by their their viewing of that now hans you you your history of the exorcist here your involvement with that is literally just like me saying hey hans you should watch the exorcist for this show what, yeah like five months ago or something pretty so. much yeah i saw it as an adult uh and i think now that you mentioned that the jack mentions that about uh seeing it at a young age uh there was a like stigma to that movie here uh in my high school i remember in elementary school where uh there's this famous movie called The Exorcist that if you watch, the devil might come into your home and scare you and won't let you sleep. The movie is so scary that the actress went crazy afterwards and then she wouldn't work. This was, of course, before the internet and anything, so there was no way of checking if any of this information was true. But I remember very vividly stories about how uh, Linda Blair went crazy afterward and then she never worked again. Late, just to later find out that she was doing like softcore porn pretty much movies like romance uh uh where she's what it was cage heat i think is one of those movies yeah. where she's just uh so i had and i was a a good catholic boy when i was young so i was afraid of all that stuff the only reason why i was catholic was because it was all pushed into me with fear so it was all um I would watch uh, religious movies in uh, Holy Week. I don't know if you guys have that, but it's two weeks in the middle of June where all they would play in local TV would be Bible movies. And the old aesthetics of those movies, and, and even though they were really corny looking back, uh, at the time, they were really scary. And to me, all of those uh, statues that you see in Catholic churches and all of those depictions of like Jesus being crucified and all that, that used to terrify me. So I stayed away from anything that had to do with horror and anything like that, because I was afraid of, you know, getting the demon uh, or, you know, having a something scare me. So when I was a kid, yeah, I never, I was never exposed to it. I think the scariest thing I would watch was probably like Chucky and that was too much. So, so uh, the first time I saw it was that version that you guys are talking about when they added, you know, the extra spooky faces and all that, um, which kind of took away from, I guess, the experience that I would have had if I had seen it as a as a young person and and the the effect that it had in me. Uh, but I still have a lot of appreciation for what it is, and especially. Because at the time, there was nothing that was uh, blasphemous and that uh, it, it was probably the first movie that I ever saw that was uh, that used those themes to that effect, I guess, uh, just before uh, 
so many movies came out trying to imitate that and, and failing completely at, at uh, being as shocking as, as that movie. Yeah, I think this comes out in a time where you have Rosemary's Baby, you have The Omen, all these revered satanic horror movies, and I don't think any of them capture just like the, the, the eeriness, the spookiness quite as well as The Exorcist. And for the longest time, I also had thought I had watched the theatrical movie. I didn't. It wasn't until 2020 when I think we covered this initially um, in the run-up to your show, Jack, that I had watched the theatrical cut and seen just how much of a departure the tone is between that one and the version you've never seen before, where, like Han said, you have those overlays of Pazuzu's face popping up yeah. in the kitchen. It's very goofy old man discovering um, <laughs> you know the new editing software techniques and readjusting that and then reinserting the ending that William Peter Blatty had wanted and how that does indeed change the tone um, I much prefer the theatrical version without that goes without saying here um, something I was curious about and I wanted to ask this on our episode of the shining Jack is have you ever had a paranormal experience uh, no, I have not. I don't have a particular interest in or fear of ghosts, the undead, aliens. Uh, I think this is because my mind is uh, so kind of like religiously preoccupied naturally that like heaven and hell and uh, kind of mundane evil is scary enough um, for me to think about. But no, I, I haven't had a paranormal experience. Um, I was just thinking about why The Exorcist is so effective and so unique compared to basically all other horror movies. And I think that it's because it's a truly and profoundly reactionary movie. It's not anything about like the queerness of horror. <laughs> you know, it's not anything about like queer misfits it's not bride of chucky it's mm. not really open to multiple interpretations it's very much as a lot of liberal critics point out this about this anxiety uh about feminism and sexual liberation and atheism and the, the freedom of the 70s um that's the underlying thing and it has this ending which affirms christian values and is all about faith but what it scares you with is really uh, child sexuality. Um, I think it's really significant that uh, Chris McNeil is an atheist, uh, divorcee, single mother. <laughs> you know, I think that's what it is. It's, it's, it's a significant part of the story of why the possession happens and all of this. But anyway, yeah, that's uh, that's why it's different. Well, no, it, I think it, it, it goes through that thing of like, it could happen to anyone, right? You don't have to be yeah. religious or you don't have to believe for it to happen to you or to your child. And it just happens to this family where, you know, she's not, like you said, she's not a believer. But someone so has it, to believe to save her. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, yes. Cue exorcist believer, which gets to the root of that. Uh, <laughs> Jack, uh, you saw that movie? You, you got around to checking it out? Oh, I saw it yesterday. Yeah, I was... We... Pre 
Yeah, can we hear what <laughs> Do you, you want to talk about it the... now? Yeah, because I don't think I mean I was not a fan at all. I think Laura's was a little well. Here's the thing. To it. Yeah, I've I've softened to the negative a little bit more on it since. But my I I have a knack for reading spoilers, and I was on 4chan and I read a whole detailed synopsis of a version of the movie. I was like, really? That's really what you're doing with that film? And when I didn't get that movie in the movie theater, I was like, all right. It wasn't the worst possible situation to be seated for. Uh, you know, there, was, uh, there were details that they removed, like all the Catholicism and this and that. And uh, really, it's just ineffective in the movie. I, the, the, the only real problem I had with the movie was the, the exorcism itself at the very end. I thought that was so goofy and, and it just did not work at all. But um, the, I'd love uh, to hear what you think. The yeah. Avengers team up at the end and how they all kind of <laughs> fail horribly. And mm. the the one I, I don't even think that it's a, a a comment a commentary on Catholicism because the one Catholic person there was that priest that didn't even believe, right? So it, it wasn't even a commentary on like how that's not right. Real they got the most of, soy boy looking priest yeah. and oh, he was afraid. It's yeah. Uh, I seeing how negatively it was received, uh, that's usually, uh, uh, gets my attention and says that there's probably something good there. If, uh, the libtard Rotten Tomatoes people who give every art horror movie an automatic 80% found something uniquely objectionable. Um, I don't think it's any worse than any other, uh, modern horror movie really. Uh, however, and, and I was prepared to be open about it. I guess the first like 20, 30 minutes I thought were kind of okay. It does, it, it, they try to mimic the editing and the pacing of the original and even the look of the original a bit. And they sort of succeed in the first 30 minutes. And the way that the girls get possessed, which is going into this like sewer and disappearing for three days is like a spooky idea. However, uh, I think that the movie is just woke trash. Um, I think it's totally ineffective. Uh, even though I liked the final one, Halloween Ends, I hate David Gordon Green's other Halloween movies. And this is just like them to me. His signature style seems to be uh, big groups of ugly townspeople getting together. <laughs> and this has big groups of ugly townspeople getting together. Um, the wokeness really comes into play about an hour in when uh, a coexist bumper sticker of all the world's religions are called in uh, with Christianity being the only kind of bad one, you know, it's negative in its depiction of Christianity and the white Protestants, of course, are depicted as stupid, loud and rude. <laughs> mm. And uh, uh, but the uh, slave herb uh, religion voodoo the one, woman. Yeah, the one dancing on top of candles. That, that woman is totally sensible, <laughs> saying, you know, just business-like, respectful, but the, like, <laughs> Baptist whatever parents of the white girl are uh, are loud, rude, and stupid and interfere with everything. Um, Catholicism, 
is depicted pretty negatively. They have that soy boy priest. Um, it's basically just nonsense by the end. It's this universalist, liberal, humanitarian, nothing matters <laughs> kind of thing. And what makes it more offensive is they give this like voiceover explanation of what it is. And they say that woman and Dowd, who I'm so sick of, she's in every, you know, she's in true detective. She's in hereditary. They, she's just the go-to hag for all of this stuff. Um, <laughs> they put her in this and she is the almost nun who had an abortion Uh and she gives a voiceover that says what the devil is, is whenever you lose your confidence in living and don't go after what you want in order to be happy. And I'm like, that's literally literally the opposite of the truth. <laughs> like, <laughs> like the devil is the person who interferes with your, you know, selfishness and happiness. It's just nonsense. And then Ellen Burstyn, from what I understand, uh, she didn't want to do this, but they offered her such an insane amount of money that she basically, like, had to. It was, like, four times what she'd ever been paid for any movie in her career. Right. So she did it and had them, like, donate to her favorite charity or something. But it's it's pretty embarrassing. Actually, the one part that I kind of liked was when they show her book chris mcneil's book and they show like some like fake vintage youtube interviews with her um and i guess that's supposed to be the 80s uh but that little bit i perked up but the rest of it i thought was woke trash how'd you feel about well, the fact that they gouged her eye eyeballs out immediately yeah. i thought that was really unnecessary undignified that's what i was gonna that. say like they they have her be like the expert in the matter and then she does the stupidest thing that you can do which is just just go by yourself your 90 year old woman to go tell the, the demon don't don't and then she gets fucked up, fucked up. Yeah, she like, gets fucked up pretty bad see i i thought okay it's Blumhouse. Jason Blum has a nag. If you've ever listened to any interview with Jason Blum, he says, we love horror with a message. We love socially conscious horror. So I was thinking, okay, David Gordon Green knows he has to fit it into this mold. And then you do have Chris McNeil come up and she's like, oh yeah, the patriarchy kept me out of my daughter's bedroom when she was getting, um, you know, exercised. And then he goes on to have her just fucking owned, just dunked on by the demon immediately, her eyeballs <laughs> falling out of her head when she does try to step up to that position. So I kind of felt like he was making the best of a bad situation with that. And I, I, I can see that. Honestly, like the basic synopsis of the story is so like what you'd think for a peak woke exorcist movie that it seems like it could be making fun of it but it's just not like effective mm -hmm. as a movie. But the idea of, okay, we're making a woke exorcist where it's a black single father whose black daughter gets possessed and, and all of the world's religions, except with Christianity kind of demoted, come in. <laughs> like, that's funny. Mm -hmm. So do you think that doing a sequel to The Exorcist is kind of like a doomed proposition? It like No matter what, it's going to be... I mean, I, I, it, you can't recreate what The Exorcist did. And I saw a lot of critics whining about, oh, you know, it's so low on vulgarity. But if they had tried to do that, if the, the little girls were acting inappropriate now, like, 
that's just any mainstream comedy you know that's that's good boys that's that's that Bodies. talking pet movie yeah it's just, it's so commonplace now that you know there's kids or women acting inappropriate or having foul mouths that i don't think the shock factor to that is there and if you were to do anything else i mean i don't know you'd have to take it pretty far i think to to catch people off guard well you they wouldn't it wouldn't be effective because it wouldn't uh because of everyone's like sensitivity about sexual content and everything you wouldn't have what you have at the original movie which is the 12 year old girl uh shoving her mother's head in her crotch and saying lick me you know you couldn't do that now with like a real actor or anything so if they tried it would be this like pieced together kind of like body double stuff and it just wouldn't seem real but that's why it's still shocking i think if you still if you watch the 70 what 71 right 73. 70 73 movie whenever those scenes happen you're still kind of like oh yeah shit. okay it's unbelievable mm -hmm. it, and it's it should have it, it got an x rating yeah. uh it should have gotten an x rating if anything's x rated it's that but it was such a big budget prestige project that they weren't they just let it pass through and it got an r but it still works, what, 50 yeah. years later? Literally uh, 50 and, years now, yeah. And that's one of the things that when I was watching this, I was like, okay, so you have two girls. I'm not saying do the crucifix scene. I'm not saying, you know, be that explicit. But if you don't go anywhere close to as far as the original movie went, then nothing is shocking. Them well, they, the, the rolling their scene, eyes. They, yeah. they danced around that with the church scene where it was implied that she was... Right. touching herself in church and the other kids were like oh weirdo gross and then you know that was they went into more goofy territory with her doing voices and walking down yeah. the center of the, you know it didn't work but sorry to cut you off go ahead continue yeah but but i think then then i guess that's my issue then don't do that then don't try to make the the children shocking because it's not gonna work especially if you've seen the original and how far that one was taken i understand that you know the sensitivity sensitivities that you have now uh, are not the same that in 1973 but you can't do a remake of that movie that went that far 50 years later and then keep it safer than that because then it's not as effective and then it's not memorable and then it's just like all right i'm not saying i want to see that but at the same time it's like you have to be creative enough to come up with something that's maybe shock shocking to that level that will be memorable who's going to think about this movie three years from now there's nothing that's gonna you know remind you or that you're gonna remember about this movie or what they did in it as much as that movie that 50 years later we're still talking about those scenes that you i guess can't do now but then don't fucking do an exorcist movie you, i guess you can't show female sexuality as being horrifying now like right. that's something that's forbidden on the list of rules that they follow now and even like lib academics and critics uh, in the 70s found it objectionable that uh you know a single mother and her like pubescent daughter and female sexuality were being used to evoke horror so you couldn't it, like if you even tried to do that now uh and be pc they couldn't really show the father being disgusted by it or uncomfortable or they just can't show any kind of real genuine reaction and you saw how awkward it was yeah. when the daughter uh pees herself in the bed 
and the dad you know like she's like catatonic or whatever and he's like wants to get her in the bathtub um but he just kind of leaves because yeah. you know he's a man so they can't show him doing <laughs> like undressing her or right, anything right. Yeah, he just leaves her to deal with it yourself. Uh, yeah. <laughs> get the tonic okay, great. All right, there's water here in the bathtub. Clean yourself, even though you can't yeah. move. Yeah. I think we've also gotten so far away from any sort of uh, Catholic or Christian specter being looked at by a majority, uh, I guess, is, is like a positive thing. Where if you were to have the Catholic priest now, I think that would be contentious with a lot of the studios. And that's why you see them presenting like the least valuable form of that in this movie, uh, Exorcist Believer, as opposed to something that's like a little more cooler or edgy, like the Damien Karras character in the 73 film, or somebody as noble as Father Marin, played by Max von Sydow, also in the 73 film. You have those two... Um, varying alternatives there of what that catholic priest might be in 1973 and i i yeah i just don't see that getting through these days with this movie or any subsequent sequels that are sure to happen because they paid 400 million for that title they're going to come up with more exorcist movies i think it's really unfortunate that this seems like such a like safe cobbled together mess when they could have put out literally anything and it would have made money that's the thing it doesn't matter that this got bad reviews because it's going to make money no it like something really serious would have to happen for any kind of franchise horror movie to not make money automatically so they could have been creative they could have been weird they could have been egregiously bad but they just it's so safe and so like just neutered i i don't know like there were a few little hints at something they wanted to do like i was pleasantly surprised at the uh negativity about the homeless which of course they put in the mouth of the white man who is loud and demanding but they comment on the girls possibly being abducted by the homeless camp next door. And I was like, Oh, a big Hollywood movie remarking on the current homeless problem. That's kind of interesting. Even if they're putting it in a bad character's mouth, there's also that scene of the dad, like going to the homeless shelter and talking to the, of course, white uh, homeless man who uh, says some like sexually suggestive thing about the daughter. Yeah. And he like throws a table over. It was like, there's an interesting little, uh, uh curiosity about the homeless in this movie that they don't follow through with i, I love that the, a couple of minutes yeah yeah i love that the father sits down to have a serious conversation with yeah. these two deranged bums to discuss his daughter's <laughs> whereabouts like what do you what do you expect to happen there um yeah yeah i i did appreciate that uh aspect of the movie they did play it very simple in terms of it being an exorcist sequel which i i didn't hate that because I feel like a big recurring problem with any of these Exorcist sequels is that they overthink it. So with Exorcist 2, they try to go bigger and bolder, and it turns into this giant Warner Brothers fantasy film, which I kind of like, and I appreciate that in retrospect as its own thing. Then you have Legion, Exorcist 3. It becomes this little quiet detective story where they reworked it. They cobbled a new edit together using Jason Miller, like a bloated, alcoholic-looking Jason Miller 15 years after <laughs> The Exorcist. Um, to play Father Karras again in The Gemini Killer. And then you have the whole Paul Schrader, Rennie Harlan 
debacle with the the prequels there. Did you happen to get around to uh, ever seeing those, Jack? I still haven't seen those. I'll see them at some point. It, uh, yeah, it really says something that I still haven't watched those two movies, uh, but I have watched every single entry in the Hellraiser franchise. <laughs> 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 uh, how do you feel about Paul Schrader as a director? Um, I think that Cat People and Mishima are the best things. Cat People especially uh, stand out. Um, I think that Hardcore is now really overrated, that that went from an 80s obscurity that was kind of interesting to think about to having this weird like meme fame kind of because of Dasha. And now people are really interested in it. He is a little less appealing to me because he's one of those director, old directors that goes to the opening of an, of an envelope. Um, and I have to confess, his wheezing walrus voice disgusts me, uh, and I don't like <laughs> listening to it. And I think he's kind of gross. Uh, I'm sure he's interesting and has great stories, but you don't uh, he's not man. half as bad as Abel <laughs> Ferrara, the other dirtbag left opening of an envelope, New York director. Uh, but... I think his voice has improved. If you ever listen to his earlier commentaries, he's got a list. It's gross. It's, it's really off-putting. There's interviews with him when he's talking about, like, Taxi Driver in the 1970s, and he's just got a straight-up, very heavy lisp. And it's, it, it, I don't know. I, I think how he sounds now is probably an improvement. Um, I do think Dominion, his version of The Exorcist, is significantly better than the Rennie Harlan one, which I remember going to see when I was, like, 15 or 14 years old in the theater. And I was just completely disappointed by that uh, and there's things in in dominion that it kind of looks like lars von trier might have cribbed for antichrist certain aspects of that is very peculiar and i only made that connection when i went back to it earlier this year uh, i certainly didn't think that when i was watching it when i was like 15 or 16 when they dropped it on pay-per-view unfinished unfinished cgi all over that movie <laughs> isn't it who's like the stars of those because i feel like part of the reason i haven't watched them is some like kind of boring euro people that i don't really still in skarsgård i don't want to watch him i think <laughs> i think the other one might start peter skarsgård don't want to watch him yeah <laughs> so it's uh, it's it's very flat though it doesn't feel like and i, I guess go back to the to the they don't know how it's, what to do for a sequel or a prequel i guess in this case because it it's not scary and every time the movie tries to be scary, it's just kind of corny. I think going to Africa sucks. in a movie in like a spiritual sense is not scary. That's yeah, that's my take. I think maybe going to Africa in general might be very scary. Yeah. But <laughs> for an exorcist well, movie, I... Mm. Yeah, yeah, not in not a movie, when it's just the Janet Jackson together again video. Yeah, <laughs> all the you know the black and white music video. Not not when <laughs> when all the Africans are just kind of friendly and kind of like have well, that. Hello, yeah, yeah. They have that accent. They're just kind Welcome of like, oh, yeah, that's a, that's a, that's sweet. They're nice. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I I saw the Dominion uh, earlier today, and it's just. It's just not scary. And whenever he tries to be spooky, it's just corny. It's like people with red eyes and, and Batman voices and and uh, uh, an evil guy that's kind of retarded at the beginning. And then he goes bald and has like a kind of like a underside penis head. And, and he's evil now. And he's just kind that's of right. Like he a... does kind of look like Gandhi by the end of it, which is not, not but, but, frightening at all. He, yeah. he also kind of looks like... Um, 
If you take Jeffrey Donovan from Burn Notice and Walton Goggins and put them together into like a Hales Have Eyes type of movie, that's exactly what that guy looks like, where they give him like a like a weird inbred makeup to make him look less attractive, I guess. But then his head is like twice the size of what a regular head is supposed to look like. Uh, <laughs> Uh, and and he becomes like the the demon that uh this Skarsgård dad right he's a yeah the yeah dad Sounds of right. all of those actors yeah he just kind of shakes his uh, cross at him and that's how he gets the demon out so uh, as a as a commentary or as a character study of uh, Father what's his name uh, Marin yeah it. It works, I guess. I like the fact that he's dressed like Brandon Fraser in The Mummy for most of the movie. And he's like, I'm not a priest anymore because Nazi's bad and I help them kill people. But then whenever it tries to go back to the exorcist part and it tries to be spooky, it's just bad. It's just very corny and very not scary. So uh, it's, I guess it's, it's difficult to, to kind of replicate what that movie from 73 did, uh, which is why all of the sequels have not uh, been scary, I guess. Well, I but... think you just brought about an interesting point here, which is that I think the big thing with all the sequels, except for Exorcist Believer, is that none of them seem interested in exorcisms. Yeah. You know, you have Exorcist 2, which kind of just has like a weird alternate timeline Donnie Darko-y finale where Richard Burton is like mauling a semi-adult Linda Blair and molesting her. <laughs> and then, you know, you have the third movie where they put it in after screening it and people at Warner Brothers, not Warner Brothers, at Fox hated that movie. And then the same situation occurs with Exorcist Dominion and the beginning where it's just like the, the, the exorcism doesn't really even fit in the movie. It's a, a totally different story. You're treating... Marin like he's Indiana Jones yeah. in Africa. So hmm. I his... find it strange that they, for as many attempts at this as this franchise gets, they like never have boys being exercised. It's always has to be a girl. Like, I mean, it it could have been like somebody's like nightmarish drag queen story hour kid, like getting <laughs> getting possessed or whatever, but like I couldn't believe my eyes also an exorcist believer when like it's 2023 and the kids are like wearing nightgowns that button up at the neck as oh, if yeah. it's like as if it's 1973. Well, what do like, you, what what do you mean nightgowns? Have you never been to church, Jack? Come on. That's what <laughs> everyone wears at church. <laughs> no, in bed. In bed. They're wearing oh, night, oh, right. like old lady nightgowns. Yeah. Yeah, it's, everyone's wearing 1940s dresses because it's obscene <laughs> to wear anything else. Yeah, it's those, yeah, it's like the <laughs> idea of like whatever unnamed Protestant sect that is. Uh, you know, they it's some kind of screen millennial screenwriters like imagining of what a Baptist church is, something. So it's kind of like sister wife clothes yeah. and <laughs> we don't believe anything they believe like don't even yeah. <laughs> dare say that any of this works but they dress that way for like they're in the village for whatever reason. i was really yeah. genuinely offended by those parents like it's <laughs> rare that i'm actually offended with a capital o but those white parents i, I like you really just have to show these people just being rude and loud and dumb and obtrusive, like for no reason except to like wave your finger and be like, 
they're stupid baptists like, but it's also it's also weird because they show them as a very successful family right like they have that mansion yeah. i guess you know the evil yeah. evangelicals have right. these mansions that but then you know as soon as anything happens they're not able to deal with anything other than just being rude and loud and and not listen to anyone it's just our voice that matters <laughs> we didn't even talk about how it starts in haiti i was in for that i was oh, like yeah. oh haiti hate that place i don't know anything about it uh, but I could believe something evil being unleashed from doing those little Florida water rituals uh, that they do. <laughs> so there's some potential there. Uh, but then there's an earthquake. Right. And <laughs> right. I yeah, saw in some review there was like a they were being overly sensitive because I guess it's based on like a real Haitian earthquake or something. Hans, you're well, Haiti is where those like videos you see online of people just straight up doing cannibalism in the street. Mm -hmm. That's right. That's Haiti, right? It's, yeah of course that's, that's yeah. <laughs> yeah, just like Hillary. just carrying around like a human leg and gnawing <laughs> on it just praying to hillary clinton <laughs> uh yeah um that's true i completely forgot that that was even a factor in that movie the first what 10 15 minutes is this couple that you know go to haiti as you do to be a tourist because <laughs> that's that's the place you want to go a visit. photographer yeah <laughs> no, he's going to he's going to photograph Haiti, and they're trying to ape the Iraq sequence of the first movie so bad, yeah. but I don't think it's nearly as interesting. Like, you know, I, I think the Iraq sequence of the 73 movie is like a bad way to start the movie. I think it's kind of boring to do that, and he spends too much time there, but you just kind of deal with it. Um, and the Haitian sequence, I mean, it's one of these clear instances of him trying to go one-to-one, -one, and they're stealing shots from the original. It's like dogs fighting with each other, and but, but it's also okay so in the original one it's the priest right looking at yeah. the statue and then there's a statue and uh, there's a reason for him to be there and getting one of those pil pilgrimages or whatever here in this movie he goes with his pregnant wife to this church and he's like oh i want to take a picture of the top of the church or or the the view that they have on top of the church you can go to the hotel by yourself with your pregnant belly i'm just gonna be busy taking pictures it's like oh, all right so your pregnant nine month pregnant wife is just gonna go by herself because you have to take a couple of shots of the... it. It felt very forced, like for for that to for them to be separated and then make something out of it where you know we're gonna be far apart and then this earthquake happens and that's how he loses her or whatever. Just for that twist in the end where the I think is the only I don't want to say rude but mean thing that the demon does in this movie where he's like oh you didn't actually care about me you wanted mom or whatever and he's like really now you're gonna like who gives that, a that shit? twist would have worked so much better if you knew at the beginning that he didn't choose yeah the daughter that he chose the wife you know that i think that would have played so much better and it's like oh he maybe he did do that and that's pretty i i enjoy depictions of uh unspeakable human selfishness on film and you don't get that that often especially from your protagonist and i think they ducked out of that in a, in like a cowardly way because they knew that he'd be too off-putting for the entire 75 percent of the movie up to that if they had revealed that up front and it doesn't play as well when that twist is revealed more than he is, is totally hr compliant i mean the <laughs> the the original idea of the demon is that it like says mean shit to everyone that's yeah. also true and also their worst most like nihilistic idea of themselves mm -hmm. so it says 
it constantly taunts Damien Karras uh, mm. about homosexuality, um, which it's a little more explicit about that in the book. Uh, but it, you know, this weird guilt over not being there for his mother, like every, the point of it is that it's the voice of your worst fear and everything about yourself being true. And, you know, when they're kind of summing up what the demon is trying to do in the book, they say it it's trying to instill a lack of belief in human dignity in anything. This is why it spews spews diarrhea and vomit and everything and just says like scatological things it's like making humanity undignified and soulless and this human this demon rather like it hints a little bit about Mm -hmm. that nun having guilt over an abortion but they but they completely backtrack on that and it turns out she actually doesn't have any guilt about the abortion it was an empowering abortion. That's the thing that you because they can't have her just feeling guilty because you know <laughs> yeah. the Rotten Tomatoes people jump on that instantly. Yeah. Uh, every time, if they even like have a female character in a big movie like regretting not having a child or something, those critics will like jump on it and be like, This is right wing propaganda. But um, they also hinted at something with the the southern white dad as to him being kind of creepy with his kids, but it's just a hint. And then he leaves the room and he's cowarding behind that wall, but then nothing happens. Like they don't go further, they don't show that he's done anything. It's just he's just a coward and he's yeah. behind the wall. And it's a very confused movie, and I think they figured out a lot of it in the edit and through reshoots. Because I know that the Ann Dowd character in one of the earliest cuts of the movie is supposed to be Reagan McNeil. And that was going to be the big reveal. She's going to be Reagan McNeil. And then they actually got Linda Blair to pop in for her Marvel Studios cameo at the very end. So As if we haven't seen her like five million thousand times in Exorcist. I mean, like, it's not like this amazing reunion to see these people together. They've been doing like exorcist, like fan stuff for 50 years. Yeah, <laughs> you you know? go to any comic con in the entire country. And yeah. You, you go both. to comic con and <laughs> yeah. Linda Blair is sitting there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think that, like that's another thing that didn't work. I, I think they were going for like this, you know, applause uh, moment. And it was just like, Oh, it's Linda Blair. I guess you know what mentioned. would work if they had her get on that bed and stick that crucifix up her snatch <laughs> again, just be, just pay her enough money to do it. Just you, recreate it. You know, I, I've, I'm kind of disappointed because we were so close with Omega Fish Corp, like literally this close to having Eileen Dietz play one of the central characters of Omega Fish Corp. Eileen was Linda Blair's stunt double in the 1973 film. Oh, no she took the brunt of um most of what you see in the film i'll say that and um she decided to leave out of the negotiation that she moved from new york to los angeles until the very last minute so we would have had to cover her flight her hotel and that would have you know expanded the budget times so much you know we already couldn't afford hans in that cast you know we could only get one of you and we picked jack so eileen <laughs> um, had to go but that would have been so interesting to work with this this fragile 80 year old woman who probably has so many truly stories. and like you recognize her image so much because like uh 
you so many of those like stills that you always see like on exorcist stuff it's her and not linda blair and mm -hmm. you can totally tell it's like yeah. an adult woman so like you're very familiar with her image it's very different from linda blair yeah for sure I, I have you delved into the i feel like there was a string of documentaries that were released around COVID time about the making of the exorcist and one of them i believe was called fear of god actually the other that. one was a friedkin documentary that yeah. came out that covered his entire career but they really focused they honed in on the exorcist and so obviously that that's huge for him i watched it and i remember uh loving it yeah i totally forgot that existed but i was like oh it's a big exorcist documentary mm -hmm. as if there's so much more to say about that but um i recall it being really good um was there anything leap new faith, leap of faith and shutter is that the one uh, yeah yes, that was yeah, it yes. yeah that's the one i'm thinking of i mean what do you think about william friedkin as a director jack he's one of my um, favorites personally or or was i think he's incredible um i think uh his stuff had when it's good has a hard edge and a scariness like cruising and french connection and exorcist that almost nothing else has uh i think personally he was probably a huge asshole um and you can kind of tell that even in interviews yeah. uh the an interesting thing uh that one of my friends who met him told me is that he was like pretty gay and had some like filipino houseboy <laughs> what <laughs> really straight up had <laughs> you know like that scene in boogie nights with that guy yeah <laughs> like had some weird you know filipino houseboy uh <laughs> assistant milling around and when you consider that he was married to jean moreau the french actress that's something a gay guy would do too um also he had like all those facelifts by the end he looked like michael chimina by then um <laughs> But uh, yeah, I mean, Friedkin's one of my favorites. Uh, Cruising, Exorcist, and French Connection, uh, all absolutely perfect. Um, and the the making of Exorcist is something that I re I remember this from that documentary. It seems like Friedkin's like brutality and kind of like uh, duplicitousness, especially with uh, William Peter Blatty. <laughs> Because he made the wise choice of keeping Blatty out of it because mm -hmm. uh, he knew that Blatty had kind of like bad taste and would make really bad decisions if he had more control. So he kind of lied to him to keep him out of it for a long time. So there was bitterness between them. But it really took someone this like hard nosed and tough to get this movie made because it sounds like it was just a massive disaster that turned miraculously into a streamlined uh, perfect product something that i find interesting with the exorcist i don't know if this is true or not there's definitely clear instances of it in the film uh, than not is that william friedkin claims that the entire movie is done with adr that the whole thing is adr i don't know if i buy it but i know cruising has like this similar kind of crisp sound where everyone sounds like they're just kind of mumbling as they're giving certain lines of dialogue to it um and I think that's one of like the weird, distinct hallmark traits of the movie that makes certain aspects more unsettling than others. Uh, that's that's sort of low key for the film. I can see that. I mean, it has that same 
distinctive sound as, as cruising where it sounds like a scary 70s movie trailer with these just deep kind of overdubbed voices over everything um other things that are just interesting about it that make it effective uh the medical horror part the first oh, half yeah. that would that's mm. one of the earliest instances of realistic blood that i can think of in a movie where it's dark instead of pink paint so that uh it must have been extra shocking then um what else the 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 kind of like uh documentary look of it uh was very different from anything horror before that just this you know when you think of horror before the exorcist it's like frilly baroque vincent price like soundstage vampires whatever and this takes the look of the french connection where it's like rusty urban hellscapes and you know kind of like uh very minimal makeup on the actors um just very realistic looking yeah i you know when i was younger that that medical sequence you just referenced where they're drawing blood from linda blair is probably what stuck with me the most or or frightened me the most although the whole thing definitely spooked me to the point where i had a i had a paperback of the original novel that i had picked up at like goodwill when i was 11 or 12 years old and i remember like deciding to throw it away because i just did i was very off put by the cover the cover art of it hans if you want to pull this up real quick is it's purple one what's that the blurry the original like purple paperback with the blurry yeah yeah yeah. and i think it was i i had a copy i I had a paperback that was released before the movie or anything like it was very old and it just it was very off-putting to me um yeah they covered it up oh here it is yeah this one Yes, it's very creepy. Um, (laughs) Nowadays, what I find most frightening about The Exorcist is like, oh, damn, you can go back and visit your parents and something might be bad. Your mom (laughs) might be in a mental ward. Oh, yeah. uh, That's that's more my fear nowadays as I'm watching this is Damien. Yeah, that kind of loneliness uh, and alienation and Karis's life was just walking walking around new york and go to that little apartment and everything and uh yeah the grittiness of it is really frightening well even even in the 73 one uh you know you have a character you have karis having uh this bout of disgust at seeing a new york homeless person which you know i noticed as i watched it again today for like the 90th time how much cleaner the New York subway looked back in 1973. It's really remarkable. Yeah. Can you help an old Walter boy? <laughs> oh man. It's, it, you know, I, I think, um, is there anything even close to the exorcist in terms of what it accomplishes as a horror movie and as a movie? No. Um, like the Omen was a spawn of it. And I find the Omen movies really, uh, scary and kind of evil seeming in a different way <laughs> whereas the exorcist is kind of like justified in my mind because it ultimately has the message of faith and ultimately has a positive message but the omen is the especially the first two are so like nihilistic and like just kind of like flatly mean-spirited um that it seems like a more like cursed evil property 
to me, but it really does scare me. That music scares me. The dog in the coffin that's Damien's mother scares me. Um, it feels like that unleashed something really frightening, and I don't like to think about the omen all that much. Um, but no, nothing captures the like specific combination of weird elements of the exorcist. But don't don't you feel like you can just beat the fuck out of that omen child though? <laughs> you can just be like, I can take you. Like, Not if he like has supernatural <laughs> if he can just like mentally force you to hang yourself or whatever. Just... You could just punt him across the room. I think it's more scary than like a Linda Blair like puking at you and you're just like, oh, I don't want to fucking touch you. That uh, but, omen child, yeah, you can just, I don't know. The, another unique thing about The Exorcist is the weird like novelistic specificity of the location, how it takes mm -hmm. place in Washington, D.C. Um, and uh, those very 70s glimpses of like the movies that Chris McNeil is making like all these like minor supporting characters are really memorable to me like yeah chris mcneil uh sharon the nanny um the what are the the butler the old like german uh, uh butler and his wife that put the crucifix up um just great little supporting characters like that Yes, uh, I, I was thinking that today, uh, more specifically about two characters that I kind of shrug off during most viewings, which is the Burt Dennings character, and how he just seems Austin like an obnoxious drunk. Yeah, he's just... <laughs> yeah, it's, like, it's like Dudley Moore, Austin <laughs> Powers guy. Yeah, Dudley Moore, yes, he's exactly like And Dudley Chris Moore. McNeil is kind of like sort of having an affair with him. Like... Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And um, Lee J. Cobb is Kinderman, who... You know, especially when I was younger, I think I was just kind of very shut off to the whole detective aspect of that. And then watching Exorcist 3 a couple of times, which I have, you know, I go back and forth on on that one where I'll watch it. And I'll be like, all right, it, it's pretty good. And then I'll watch it again. I'll be like, uh, this is really kind of corny. Um, yeah. Have you have you seen Exorcist 3? And then what are your thoughts on it? If so. Um, I have seen it once, uh, probably 10 years ago. I recall thinking it was good, not great. Um, then since then, its critical reputation has exploded so much that, as you pointed out, it's overrated. Yeah. Um, I don't particularly want to watch Brad Dourif anymore in anything. Uh, <laughs> and it doesn't spark joy for me to think about brad duraf being a psycho and anything else i'm sick of chucky i'm sick of all of that um but yeah i mean it's like spooky i i haven't read the whole book but i remember reading that opening thing of like the black boy being like crucified by the murderer scary very 80s stuff um a good sequel not great not a lost masterpiece mm-hmm you know, it, it's funny to tie it back to your original question, which is how come they never feature a possessed boy? Well, Dominion and I think Exorcist, the, the beginning doesn't do that. They decided to make it a girl again, right, Hans? I I saw Dominion and I didn't see that. You didn't see? Okay, you didn't see the theatrical. I'm pretty certain they make it an adult woman for that mm -hmm. one. Which... Bring a book. Who cares? <laughs> <laughs> um, the original case that the the... William Peter Blatty book and the movie were based on is I, I it's supposed to be a teenage boy right and I think it 
was it in Italy or somewhere where this possessed boy had the entire church rethinking its stance on possession? I, you know, I don't know a whole lot about the actual story since it's very covered up, but I feel like around the time that the version you've never seen before was released again in theaters, A&E and all these uh, more basic cable stations had done specials on like, oh, here's the true story of The Exorcist. And they would delve into that as much as whatever's available. Do you have any um, background on that, Jack? Have you looked into that at all? No, because I know the real thing's going to be less scary than Mm -hmm. (laughs) than the movie. I don't know. Uh, No, no, I haven't particularly looked into that um, for whatever reason. Yeah, I'm I'm sure it's probably about as um, amusing as I don't know if you've seen The Devil and Father of Morth, which is William Friedkin's attempt at covering a real exorcism. No, that that sounds terrible. It's real. It's really embarrassing, and I'm just kind of like. It sounds like it goes in that pile with like those Brian De Palma movies about the Iraq War. Oh God, (laughs) yeah, Domino, the recent one he did, Domino is really painful. It's just after a certain point, they need to like have their cameras taken away from him, maybe not discover handheld digital camera or whatever. Yeah. It's a, it was a pretty bad outing where he was documenting this girl being possessed, and then he also happened to modulate her voice to try and sound like Linda Blair in the original movie. And it's just like, oh no, stop! You gotta you gotta stop this right now. It was it was really bad. And um, I will say, I'm glad he kind of redeemed himself with uh, the Kane Mutiny Court Martial, which is on Paramount Plus right now for anyone interested it's it's a television film and it's very straightforward but um i thought it was significantly better than the devil and father of morth that short little documentary that was just well at least he didn't die with that i guess right something else yeah something much more respectable than that um but i think that it's really funny that one of the last things that freaking did before he died was censor the n-word from french connection because you remember when that happened there was a big kerfuffle about it like did he do it like he did it he did it they because people were blaming uh like wokeness and all of this and like the streaming services themselves and i did a little investigating and it's like no that was labeled somebody who works there said that was labeled the director's edit and delivered from him supplied to the streaming services for them he did it himself that you're changing friedkin's legacy here overnight between that and the filipino <laughs> houseboy being, being made known. this is crazy i mean honestly i fully believe that because i yeah. remember watching a short clip of him in the editing bay whenever they did the restoration dvd and he was like and here now we can make these whites blue in and the color correction can be a totally different this is what i wanted back in 1970 uh, i was just like it looks like shit it looks that's what chimino did to the criterion heaven's gate uh dvd it's worthless because Mm. he like put like an instagram filter over it it like everything that made that movie look cool which was the like soot and dust and the kind of sepia toned look of it chimino shortly before dying changed it 
into like like bright a Mike artificial Flanagan movie, yeah. <laughs> like a Netflix looking movie. Yeah, and I I bought that Criterion DVD. It says like director's version, and I was like, this is trash. The whole reason I like this movie was because it looks like dirt. Like, and that was <laughs> the Criterion Collection has done so much to uh, offer lesser looking versions of certain movies because that's not the the only example of that. I know that. Hans, who's that Asian director who did Chungking Express? Wong you know, Kar Wai. Wong Kar Wai, yeah. okay. He went back and turned all his films green. And then oh, Memories yeah. of Murder, uh, the Korean film, which I think is very solid. It's very, very good. And I don't like that director, Bong Joon-ho. I find him so obnoxious. And I hate how you know, his, his little quips during interviews are then contorted through, like, Twitter speak, and he's like a sassy grandma, you know? Yeah. That's, the, that's the interpretation of him. Um, Memories of Murder, I thought, was a great film, though. And that film's also green. So they they allow them to tinker too much. They should just ask for the the standard print that went out yeah, in the theater. Yeah, and, and... Uh, it wasn't Criterion, but when they released Cruising for the first time on DVD in, I think, 2007, 2008... Friedkin uh, changed it a lot. He put color like blue and green colored mm. filters over a lot of the scenes, did some like digital like wavy effect when he does poppers and took the uh, awesome disclaimer off of the beginning because originally on VHS it had this this is not intended to represent the homosexual people that's like right. kind of like a disclaimer <laughs> and so he kind of he kind of ruined it in that way too just change it to it is supposed to represent <laughs> well now since the movie's more. popular it's like and gay guys love it it's like it is supposed to represent you <laughs> you know what you're right i didn't catch because i i i have the vhs of cruising now because i bought a vcr and that's oh nice just what i watch these days i you know i did notice that it was not as blue as the arrow video 4k release of of that movie uh something i would want to recommend to you jack there's a there's a television version i've gotten recently into archive.org and people just uploading their either like their their oh i'm into it too yeah i i love seeing like oh here's just a 2003 broadcast of king of queens on cbs with all the commercials and i'll be like all right that's my that's my show i'm gonna have on while i'm working tonight they I think that's up, um, it's kind yeah. of sad, but it's also kind of endearing. You know, it's just like I just want to go back to when I was innocent and before I was <laughs> completely destroyed by this internet age, and just go back to oh, this feels cozy and comfortable. Well, it's a step up from what I was doing before, which was I was buying people's blank tapes on eBay and doing <laughs> that. I was doing that, but I was paying money for it. So yeah, um, now I'm just going off uploads. But there's a 1981 TV broadcast of The Exorcist that's on there. That was like a CBS movie of the week. And William Friedkin dubbed all of the demons lines himself because they couldn't include wow. like your, your mother sucks cocks in hell. So he's doing the voice. I thought, oh, it's going to be so goofy. But uh, no, he does a pretty good demon voice, actually. They, they tinkered with it a little bit, but it's, it's a cool uh, television artifact there for for anybody who's oh i gotta check that out yeah it's uh it's great um did you happen to take a look at uh this is only kind of a soft sequel to the exorcist it's more bladdy sequel to the exorcist uh what, what is it uh twinkle the, twinkle killer cane yes, yes ninth yeah. configuration the ninth configuration. i hate it <laughs> you hate it hate that movie um yeah i i think overall blatty has 
pretty bad taste himself because Blatty is responsible for that version you've never seen, right? And he wants to put Lieutenant Kenderman. He clearly has such an affection for that character who is so corny to me, and you're supposed to find him very charming. Um, Twinkle, Twinkle, Killer Kane. I remember watching that. Uh, it's very affected and like full of itself. Like you kind of expect it to be some sort of hidden genre gem or what, but it's like very self-serious and very, um, if you've ever seen the Norman Mailer movie, tough guys don't dance <laughs> like with Isabella Rossellini, like it's that kind of like dead serious authorial vision of something. Um, <sighs> I'm struggling to remember what happened in it. It's like Stacy Keach and there's some weird kind of like quasi gang rape, gang bang violence thing oh, the, at a, yeah, the at a ending roadhouse. Is totally schizophrenic and doesn't fit with the rest of the movie at all where they just yeah. show up in a bar and like, yeah, the hell's angels, I guess, mm -hmm. trying to have something happen. And it, it's only loosely related to The Exorcist in that you have the astronaut character who shows up at the dinner party having a mental breakdown when he's supposed to go to space because of that interaction with Reagan McNeil. And I, in the in the movie um, Ninth Configuration, he's played by, is it like Tom Courtney or some, some famous English actor? I probably have that wrong there. Um, and I felt like, okay, well, this is this is kind of like just interesting as as something that exists, but I don't think it comes together as a movie. I haven't read the novel, um, but I, I will say, generally speaking, I'm not negative on William Peter Blatty's writing. Um, I did enjoy The Exorcist. I enjoyed Legion when I read it. And I read some other book of his that it, he put out much later in his life when he really got kind of kooky and all in on religion, which was after his kid died and I think it was called like crazy or wild I don't know I'm bad with titles tonight but it was something along those lines and I thought it was like a it, it was middling it didn't quite have the same um savoriness that that his earlier books had Mastermind. yeah Mastermind. It, it, his writing in the hits is great um I I feel like he and you can kind of gather the sense of this from that Friedkin documentary I feel like he really wanted to be legitimized in cinema uh at, like as a filmmaker and just kind of kept failing I, th I think he resented that Friedkin was responsible for uh such a massive success with The Exorcist yeah they had a very it seems like they had a very hot cold relationship where they were either besties or they hated each other I know there's there's a lot of interview cl clips where William Friedkin like ballooned out. He got really fat in the nineties and he's like wearing a off, like he's wearing a leather jacket. that doesn't go with his look at all. And they're like bickering during some interview about what should have been included, what shouldn't have been included. And I don't they're know. Both for, oh, I just remembered. Okay. Blatty wanted to play father Karras himself. That's right. Yes. That he went, which would have been like the producers, <laughs> you know, it would have been like terrible. But that was Friedkin had to like lie to him a bunch to keep him from doing that and mm -hmm. like pay him off basically to make him not want to play Father Karras. He does have some wild thoughts. I've listened to the commentary with William Peter Blatty, and he is completely convinced that 
Columbo is a ripoff of Father Kinderman and the Exorcist. Oh, that wow. explains so... the Father Kinderman thing. Like, there are these things that writers do, writers of literary fiction, where they invent some character who's kind of like repellent, and they're like, "He's my favorite character." he's clearly you're gonna love him as much as me and like lieutenant kinderman is one of those where it's like okay yeah he's kind of a gross weird guy that asked for an autograph from chris mcneil and like seems a little retarded and yeah he's one of the most overlooked characters in the 73 one i mean i i don't think lee j cobb gives a a bad performance or anything like that but he's just so inconsequential to anything that happens and he's just weird like what like that why is he like want to go to go hang out with Karis since like you want to go see a picture together you know <laughs> yeah, like I, yeah, why does he so. want to hang out with them like <laughs> i i never thought or or him trying to bait who's it father dyer in the uh the extended ending i guess doing the same thing or i don't know he's just maybe lonely looking for friendship lonely and gay and <laughs> just wants to hang out with all these creepy yeah. priests it's the yeah. 80s. There's no social media. You can just. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's a prequel to Cruising, I guess. Um, <laughs> you know what I noticed? And this is, I have nowhere to go with this, but I noticed that Harry S. Truman was on the wall in Chris McNeil's office. There's a framed photo of Harry Truman. That's um, that's my one observation weird. from today's viewing. Um, another one last thing uh, I really appreciate about The Exorcist is the specific kind of frumpiness of Chris McNeil and Ellen Burstyn's extremely uh, unsexy 70s look in it. I mean, the like red bowl cut hair, big, nothing but big burnt orange cowl neck sweaters uh, <laughs> with a bumpy zipper in the back. Uh, like yeah the most like Helen Reddy kind of like itchy polyester 70s kind of thing I just love how she looks in that movie it captures such a moment and such a texture my boyfriend and I always like make jokes about like a clothing line called the Chris McNeil collection that's just like like eggshell beige brown (laughs) burnt orange everything has a giant turtleneck (laughs) Uh, chris mcneil's unfuckable collection (laughs) (laughs) oh man all right um i think we've we've covered just about every nook and cranny we can with the the extras unless there's hans i mean do you have any observations as somebody who's not as attached to this movie no, not really. I think I think we did a pretty good job of covering pretty much. I think everything. so too. Yeah. This is this is the second episode we've done on The Exorcist 73 and probably we've done quite a few different Exorcist sequel shows now. We've done a string of them. This is our Halloween episode by the way. So thank you for joining us for oh, the nice. Halloween special, Jack. I've um, done an Exorcist episode too of my show that talks about The Exorcist and Amy Grant uh together two things that contributed to my uh christian schizophrenia as a child <laughs> ruined by the exorcist <laughs> what was the scariest thing as a christian as a child for you because i saw the movie stigmata and that gave me nightmares for like months and and the worst thing is that i guess i had a big enough ego where i was like oh yeah i'll be the chosen one that's gonna get the stigmata on his wrists <laughs> you know but yeah. but uh Haas, were you just like 17 when that movie came probably, out yeah probably i don't know like 20 something yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah 
uh, what's this? Was this the scariest? The scariest, thing? yeah, um, the scariest piece of media that you consumed that you were like, oh fuck, uh, other than The Exorcist, I guess that uh, that would give you recurrent, I don't know, recurrent nightmares or thoughts of this is gonna get me or or I should um, have seen. I this. have some weird ones. Honestly, in fifth grade, when Boys Don't Cry came out and. Uh, that like swept the Oscars and I watched it and I had never seen anything that like violent like realistically violent and intense where she just gets like raped brutally and all of this that really disturbed me um in like third grade I remember legend Ridley Scott legend being just too intense like the there's something about the like claustrophobic texture of that and that like devil costume where i just like couldn't watch it as yeah. a kid but i could happily watch all those up like labyrinth and everything um yeah those are two that come to mind legend is one i've been meaning to revisit because i was on a tony scott ridley scott kick for a minute um is that do you have you watched that recently is that worth going i back did to? i i talked about it recently um and uh i i think it's like a mess that doesn't come together but it's one of the most phenomenal looking movies ever um it's just narratively there's nothing to invest in it doesn't like make you feel emotions but it's it's uh extremely vivid like the just the feathers and the glitter and the claustrophobic sweaty look of that movie is incredible but it's funny to me that Ridley Scott like I listen to all the commentaries on it and everything and he keeps repeating that he was super concerned that it not be too scary for children and I was like well you completely nailed it because <laughs> this is absolutely too scary for children um but yeah it's it's just an interesting movie that I it occupied a large space in my imagination as a kid just because of striking images like when uh, Mia Sara gets kind of possessed and is in this like underground vast cavernous space with these big pillars dancing around like I love that yeah Tim Curry's appearance in that movie is yeah. I think one of the best prosthetic or makeup jobs ever done on on film he's so creepy as as the devil in that film i don't know it's been ages since i've watched it. i feel like i caught it when i was like four or five years old i watched i watched legend it makes me sick looking at him because just thinking about being in that because it took like something like six to eight hours to apply that mm -hmm. and at one point he like flipped out and felt so sick inside it. he just started ripping it off <laughs> so it was like getting to him too but i think the just... only thing that's scarier than that is his current Oh God! Right. You know, I I'm part of a couple of like I feel like I got thrown into a couple of Facebook groups involuntarily, and someone posted there. I met Tim Curry at this horror convention photo from like this year, where his Whoa. face looks like the Toxic Avenger. He looks like he's fucking melting oh, no. in his wheelchair. It's so bad. Yeah. Uh, uh. Well, that one he looks fine actually for for his current state. Did he like have Here's, a stroke or something? I assume. Yeah, I believe so. And. He Hans, yeah. you pulled up like the most flattering photo of him crippled. <laughs> uh, it looks it looks pretty rough. Oh man! That. And it anyone who rough. shows up to these horror conventions, they're not bringing their best 
self to their panel. They're usually it's already depressing to be at a horror convention and like (laughs) see these people there, but imagining it's like Tim Curry, like Stephen Hawking's, Mm. you know, rigged. uh, That sounds just dreadful. Yeah. Well, especially as iconic as he is, right? He's got so many characters uh, in the history of film that now I just see him be, I guess, stuck in a wheelchair. can't really move. It's just... It's, he always felt cursed by Rocky Horror, though. He always, like, hated Rocky Horror because that was, like, what defined him. And I love Rocky Horror. I love the... Like, I don't care about the phenomenon, but I love the movie itself. Uh, but he was pretty, like, famously bitter about that for a long time. <laughs> have you ever checked out shock treatment that's one i yeah recently i love watched. it uh i thought the the music in shock treatment was better than rocky horror it's actually. it's fantastic and uh it takes place in denton and i went to denton texas at the university of north texas for a year and that's where all those uh rocky horror guys were from weirdly enough interesting um i i wanted to get a quick take on ridley scott from you <laughs> while we were just talking about legend there because i feel like he's somebody who has quite a strong reputation but uh way more misses than hits in in my opinion and also if you've seen house of gucci um i have seen it i liked it uh i thought it was one of these three hour gray deliberately boring movies uh dune is another one that felt like deliberately unwatchable at home in order to make you see it at a theater um i liked it i liked that it the trailer made it seem like it was going to be this like uh campy scorsese thing with like heart of glass playing over it or whatever but it actually wasn't it was like dry as a bone everything was done to uh like go against the campiness of lady gaga um it's jersey shore right it's jersey shore but with people pretending to be italian i guess just yeah very exaggerated a lot of wigs um <laughs> as for ridley scott himself i feel like when like during like the dvd era of like the 2000s he was like a legend like it really felt like even though he had a bunch of failures up until that point they were all like very distinctive like you know stuff like 1492 or someone to watch over me or whatever it still seemed like it was kind of important because it was a really scott movie and then it gradually devolved into i mean now i feel like he doesn't even direct the movies i feel like it's like an ad that does it and they put his name on it because with alien covenant i was like he didn't make this movie like somebody else made this and they gave him a big check to use his name (laughs) Mm-hmm. yeah that's that's one i often forget about and i went to the theater to see that i was looking forward to, i was like oh cool danny McBride i was excited and too because i liked prometheus yeah. when it came out and prometheus it felt like he did that and it felt like it had these big ambitions but then they kind of turn like uh change the vision for it and then that i thought was just really stupid somehow the cgi looked worse than alien resurrection from 1997 and uh yeah, I don't I don't know I, I I don't really feel like he has too much of a hand in directing whatever currently constitutes a Ridley Scott movie. And there's so many of them. It seems like there's this assembly line of like just three hour like whatever historical epic things that it seems like no one sees. Mm-hmm. Um but they yeah, keep he coming did, out. He did two in a year for, for a couple of years as matter I think last duel in House of Gucci might have been the same year. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, with Prometheus, it's funny because the trailer to that was so distinct and spooky, and it was like, oh, wow, this, this looks really cool. Um, and then I showed up to the theater, and I was like, oh, he took it in a direction where you kind of lost me there. But mm-hmm. there's deleted scenes on the Blu-ray to Prometheus and alternate takes of certain special effects. Like, I'm thinking specifically of one of the astronauts walking back onto the ship after they've been infected. And the special effects that they used in the deleted scenes, like the original version of it before they tossed it out and threw in, like, CG and redesigned it, look great and look creepy and work. And for some reason, they didn't go with that at at the end of the day. It's very unfortunate. Um, But I have a very clashing take with House of Gucci. I thought that movie was hilarious. I thought that movie was fucking great. (laughs) So funny, yeah. uh, Yeah, I I couldn't take anyone seriously doing those accents. I had such a good time with that movie. Yeah, I mean, I was, like, alone watching it, so I guess it seemed maybe everything seems more serious when you're alone um but uh yeah i just filed it away uh next to the recent dune as a three-hour kind of gray Mm -hmm. (laughs) gray thing that i enjoyed in the theater but will never watch again (laughs) yeah uh all right i think that is gonna conclude our Halloween episode of movies. So Jack, thank you so much for joining us again. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Uh, Absolutely. Everybody go listen to the perfume nationalist, uh, wherever you can get podcasts, Spotify, Apple, and check out Patreon uh, and go listen to our episode on the shining and Dr. Sleep and the shining seven or eight. I forget the mini series. Yep. It's Um, up. Yes. Do you do you still want want me to watch that Stephen King series? Because I don't want to. I don't. I don't know. I think. Uh, I think we might be good on that. We'll see. Okay. We'll see if Sorry. I'm feeling sadistic okay. in a week or two. I don't know. Have you made Hans watch the the Shining mini series? That that's what we're talking about. Oh. I was like, you yeah. know, yeah, what? you should make him do that. Yeah. Like, I don't. I kind of don't it's want to, but torture like if we're gonna... worse than death. Yeah. 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 Well, Hans wanted us to revisit Doctor Sleep even after we did our show on The Shining and Doctor Sleep. And I was like, I, get, I mean, it's you fresh do on my endless mind. Doctor Sleep. Yeah. <laughs> so we're gonna go back to that, and that's gonna be our 300th episode of movies. So damn, yeah. that's impressive. Well, I just saw. I that think I'm was... on. I'm on two, uh, two fifty six. So. All right, you're not far still behind. got like a year to go yeah yeah you well perfume national started a couple of months right behind movies did so we're almost on the same track here i so. was february 2019 okay yeah we uh movies was september 2018 wow september we're the 11th. we're the dedicated old heads who've <laughs> yeah now really. going yep yep uh all right jack thank you again for coming on uh it's been a pleasure talking with you about the exorcist and that's been movies for this week thank you for listening